This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Safe, conservative, practical. Of course, that's the way we characterize longtime general manager Lou Lamorello, which is why I think a lot of us were shocked that he tagged for his next coach for the New York Islanders, the one and only Patrick Waugh. Fiery, emotional, passionate. Uh, it is interesting. We know that Lou Lamarillo does have um, an affection for and a respect for ex-Montreal Canadians. Patrick Waugh very much joins that list. Uh, Jacques Lemaire's and Claude Julien's and Larry Robinson's, etc. With the uh, with the New York Islanders here, previous with the New Jersey Devils, um, but nonetheless, I think a lot of us were still surprised that at the end of all of it, when Lane Lambert uh, lost his position after the Islanders lost to the Chicago Blackhawks on Friday, it was a very clean shaven Patrick Waugh who joined the mix and is the new bench boss behind the bench for the New York Islanders. Uh, Andrew Gross joins me now, Islanders writer at Newsday. Um, first of all, Andrew, thanks so much for stopping by once again. Uh, love having you on. Second of all, on a scale of 1 to 10, and you can choose 11, how shocked were you at this news? <laughs> well, yeah, Patrick Waugh really did come out of left field. And you mentioned Jacques Lemaire, and, you know, my my, my – my speculation, because Lou will never say, but I, I really think he uh, he leaned on Jacques Lemaire in this case, or Jacques Lemaire put the bug in in Lou's ear. You know, you know who would be a good candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I also know that uh, Patrick Waugh got a really good recommendation or confirmation uh, from Islanders goalie Semyon Varlamov, who played for Waugh out in uh, yep. with the Colorado Avalanche. So it, it does show that Lou, while he, you know, he keeps his opinions and his thoughts to himself, he, he, he does solicit sometimes. He, you know, he does listen to other people. And, and I think it, 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 he kind of came to this probably as a little bit of a group decision. But, it, you know, you asked me one to ten as a surprise. Yeah, Patrick Waugh. But right, right around nine and a half, nine and three quarters. But the the other part of it was, you know, <laughs> is Lane Lambert. You know, was I surprised that Lane Lambert was fired? And you know, and, and I will say that I, I have a ton of respect for Lane, and I really got to enjoy getting to know him, even though he is certainly not the personality that Patrick Wise. Um, no, there, there there was no surprise on that end. Um, what do you find the reaction has been like leading up to that game yesterday against Dallas? And we'll get to that in a couple of moments. Um, what was the reaction amongst Islanders fans? Like, it seemed to me that there was almost uh, an elation, an idea that, okay, this is going to get really exciting here. Uh, all of a sudden, the Metropolitan Division is really noisy behind the bench. I mean, you already have Brenda Moore, you have Ruff, you have LaViolette, and now you add Patrick Waugh and John Tortorella, of course. Uh, now you add Patrick yeah. Waugh to that mix as well. You know, I, I had one longtime Islanders observer DM me and say, this has just enough Milbury in it to make this decision a lot of fun for Islanders fans. <laughs> what has the response been so far, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. And, and you know, the, the fans had been, you know, and again, uh, no disrespect to Lane. Unfortunately, the, the fans had kind of turned on him a, a while ago. Yeah. I, I'm thinking in, no, in November, they, they were the first chance that they wanted both, you know, Lane and Lou. Uh, to vacate their positions. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, the the, the news has been received very positively because the the fan base saw a team that was, you know, I I wouldn't even say they were treading water. They were sinking, um, you know, off an 0-3-1 road trip in which they did not play particularly well. And the two games that you could say they played decently, they, you know, they still wound up losing in regulation. Um, so things were, were not good. I, I, I think Lou kind of read the tea leaves and read the room and realized he couldn't allow Lane to come back and coach another game at UBS yeah. Arena, that it would just be a very ugly atmosphere. And uh, the only thing you need to know really is uh, they were chanting for Patrick Waugh in the first period. You know, they go up one nothing, and the crowd's reaction was to chant Patrick Waugh. And it reminded me of Barry Trotz's first season 
with the Islanders when often Barry's postgame uh, interviews with the media would get un- interrupted because the departing crowd from Nassau Coliseum was chanting his name so loudly that you, you, you couldn't really yeah. hear inside the interview room. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. So, you know, one and oh under Patrick Waugh. Right now, he's the greatest coach other than Al Arbor in team history. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's too like it, the the funny thing about last night, and I think we're all like the curiosity factor for everybody. Like I had I had to make sure that at least for that first period, I could watch, you know, clean without any distraction. Uh, the first 20 minutes of, of Patrick Waugh behind the bench of the New York Islanders. And as you mentioned, they go up one nothing. Uh, uh, Romanov scores the goal. He's playing on the left side. It's a rush with Matthew Barzell and um, and, and Bo Horvat. And uh, you know what my first thought was? Just because of, listen, we all understand that Patrick Waugh is in Shaibo trying different things. I think we could all recall yeah. when he started with the Colorado Avalanche. And it lasted about a half a year. He went to that junior hockey man-on-man defense in their own zone. And it kind of confused a, a, a lot of other teams. Um, but, you know, there was, a, I'll be honest with you, there was a part of me that says, I wonder if, you know, Patrick Waugh uh, leaves Ro- Romanoff in the uh, the Anders Lee position there on the left side of Matthew Barzell and uh, and Bo Horvat as well. Like, what, what did you see in that game yesterday? And was there anything that was distinctively Patrick for you? Um, not, well, uh, uh, his energy. Certainly. And, and I'll start there by, uh, yeah. you know, I was getting, I was getting texts during the game, you know, guys sitting up in the three hundreds in UBS arena saying, we've never heard the coach up here before. And, and we, we were hearing the coach in the press box too. Uh, he was, he was that huh. loud. He was that energetic. He, you know, it's been a while since he's been behind an NHL bench, right? He, uh, he, he last coached in 2016, um, uh, in the NHL, and he admitted after the game he had a ton of nerves, and that was really manifested in the first period. He didn't know what to do with himself. He was so woundly, you know, uh, tightly wound and had so much energy. He said he had to calm himself down as, as the game went on. Um, they, they, as far as you know, his impact or, 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 or the stamp he's going to put on the team. Uh, he really, he really, it, it was such a short time. He didn't have any time to even get to know his players, right? So he he took Lane Lambert's last lineup, the lines, the defensive pairs, and he really relied on assistant coaches, uh, John McClain and uh, Doug Huda to, uh, to kind of guide him through that game as to who his personnel is. I suspect as we go on here, it's going to look more and more like a Patrick Watt team. He was talking about, uh, you know, he thinks his defensemen, the Islanders' defensemen, are, are too cautious and, and, and are guarding their own crease at the expense of trying to, you know, get the puck out of the zone a little bit more. And he says, you know, if we keep turning the puck over in the neutral zone, that's all we're going to do uh, is play defense. Mm-hmm. He wasn't happy that of uh, the Stars' 42 shots last night. And, and again, all this information really came out unprompted. Um, but he, he said 17 of those 42 shots came on turnovers. We have to get those defensemen thinking about moving up the ice a little bit more, and, and, and they look really tentative doing that. Um, so there will be changes. But, but day one for Patrick Waugh, and it was the, probably one of the most highest-intensity morning skates I've ever seen with the coach stopping drills repeatedly, he, he preached two things. He was preaching team togetherness, and, and he was trying to get them mm. to understand that they, they are in the playoffs right now. Uh, last night, they, you know, including last night, there were 36 games to go to get to 82, and every single one of these last 36 games is a playoff game for the Islanders. Um, and these are veterans who I they were kind of talking that talk beforehand, but they weren't implementing it on the ice. And, and I think Waz really kicking him in the rear end uh, in that direction. Um, and he was also right. preaching unity. And 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 Bo Horvat and and Matthew Barzell. Um, you know, and if you're going to get two players on your side, those are the two to get, right? Um, they oh, yeah. they came out of day one with with Patrick Waugh just loving everything the coach said and did, you know, through and, and the changes that Patrick is talking about making. 
So, th- so th- this becomes the question then, because this is this is a nice sort of transition to the next part of this, and that is, you, know, you mentioned earlier that you know the one player who he's acquainted with is Semyon Varlamov, who, as you mentioned, he had he has a background with the Avs. Um, who gets the Patrick Waugh bump? Like, whenever there's a, a new coach that takes over, there's always you know a couple of players that tend to succeed more just because of opportunity, uh, personality, confidence, whatever it is. Uh, I know we're only a game deep here. I get it. It's one game against the Dallas Stars, and you know it's a back-to-back for Wedgwood, and Nottinger wasn't even on the bench because he was you know, still a little bit ill. But nonetheless, is there, do you think, one or two players that get the automatic Patrick Waugh bump? Well, I, I think you know there were there were two guys. The two guys that scored in regulation last night were uh, defenseman Alexander Romanov and uh, Hudson Fashing, who's playing up on the second line yeah. uh, right now because Pierre Engvall is a little bit banged up. Um, and those two come to mind, you know, especially uh, Romanov, in that you know Alex has since coming over from the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm sure. You know, Patrick, even when he was not in the NHL, I'm sure he checked in with Can- on the Canadians from time to time, right? So he probably saw a, a fair amount of Alex's, you know, first two seasons, I would think. Um, Alex, since coming to the Islanders, has talked about unleashing this offense in, in his game. He's a very good skater, um, mm-hmm. and he wants to get up the ice. And he, he's shown he's got five goals now that he can shoot the buck, the puck. He, he picked the short side from the left circle, and it, it was a great shot uh, against Scott Wedgwood. So I, I could really see Alex Romanov um, kind of, especially when, when he's told, when maybe the shackles are taken off in the defensive zone. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Patrick preaches to Alex that, hey, yeah, you want to defend your crease, first of all, but that's not all we need you doing. We need you up ice. We need your offense, too. I could really see Alex taking off under uh, under uh, Patrick mm. Waugh. Um, so I know there's a game against Vegas coming up, obviously, uh, and that is tomorrow, but how much uh, is everybody eyeballing Thursday? As the Islanders travel to Montreal, you know Elliot brings Elliot brings up the good point. You know, uh, Montreal now have fans in Montreal now have two favorite teams: the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Islanders, led by Patrick Waugh. Uh, again, I know Vegas still like that's still a, the, the the next game up for grabs. But how much does everybody in the organization have eyes on Thursday? Well, I, you know what I mean. I'm sure Patrick does, um, and I know the players once they get to Montreal, they're going to fully realize how important that game mm-hmm. is for Patrick Waugh, you know, coming back to Montreal like that. Um, but this is a team that can't afford to look ahead. They have to get at least a point out of this game with Vegas. They, they can't afford to give away any more points. So I, I know mm-hmm. Patrick is going to set the record straight, you know, beforehand. And, and you know, the players are not dumb. They, 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 at the morning skate in their room and and after the game last night, they saw media members that they've never seen in their room before. Uh, you know, and, you mm-hmm. know, two-thirds of the media at the game last night came down from Montreal, basically. Um, so, sure. you know, the, 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 the players are not dumb, but I, I, I don't think... I don't think they're overlooking Vegas for sure. And I know Patrick is going to make that point. But, yeah, no, there, there's, you know, once that final buzzer sounds on uh, uh, on tomorrow night, um, I, I'm sorry, I lose track of the days. I've been on the road a lot. So I'm just trying <laughs> to figure out what day it is. <laughs> but, you know, when, when, once that final buzzer sounds against Vegas, um it is the, the hype machine is going to go yeah. off at double time for that game in Montreal. I mean, all, all I all I thought was, and, and I know Lou would have never set this up, but thank God Patrick's first game wasn't at Bell Center because that would have that would have been nope the game kidding. of the season, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, it's it's funny too. We were just talking to Elliot about this a second ago, and Elliot says, "You know, I wonder if Lou looked at the schedule and said, okay, this is the right. We're going to pull the trigger on Patrick Waugh. This is the right time. Give him a couple of games before uh, we get to Montreal. We'll probably never know the answer to that one. Um, by the way, it sounds like Benoit DeRoger is going to be joining him on the staff. That's the uh, the mystery assistant um, that Patrick yeah, Waugh is going to bring to yeah. the Islanders. I don't think anyone's losing. The, I don't think anyone's losing their job because of it, though." No, no, no. They, they they were down an assistant. Lane Lambert, when he got promoted from associate coach, never hired that third bench guy. Um, so they've only been going yeah. with two assistant coaches, uh, John McClain and uh, Doug Huda. So, yeah, uh, Patrick, you know, and, and good for Patrick. Um, I, I think it worked out all around. You know, uh, unfortunately, a, a good man in Lane Lambert loses his job. But, hey, he's a coach. This is yep. the business. Everyone, everyone gets fired, and he's been through it before. But yeah. I was so happy and also so relieved that the two assistant coaches kept their jobs. Um, because think about it. Yeah. On, in, in Chicago on Friday, Kyle McClain made his NHL debut. And, and Kyle, of course, is John mm-hmm. McClain's son, the assistant coach. Could you imagine that poor kid if he makes his NHL debut on Friday and on Saturday his old man gets canned? I mean, that that would have been god awful. Yeah, terrible. Um, And and I know I know how tight Lou is with the McLean family. You know, he probably watched uh, John or or Kyle grow up as well. So, but yeah, I I was very happy to see Kyle McLean and Tuckuda keep their jobs. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, that's this, from you know the, the Lane Lambert point of view. That is a, a sort of uh, a, a, makes it a softer landing, I suppose. Uh, Got to hustle, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks as always for stopping by. It's an exciting time to be an Islanders fan right now. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing your expertise. Really appreciate it. Jeff, anytime. You you be well. I'll talk to you soon. There is the great Andrew Gross, Islanders writer at Newsday.com. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local, Matt Marchese. What are you thinking about tonight? Six to choose from. Oh, it's the big one. Jets at the Bruins. Uh, puck line is Bruins minus one and a this half. Looks good. Yeah, the Jets are 10 and one in their last 11 games. Here's one. The Bruins are 18 and two in their last 20 games against the Jets. The under has hit in four of the last five Jets games, and the over has hit in seven of the last nine. Bruins games. Yeah, I'm interested in a lot of the games tonight. Uh, always interested when Vancouver plays, specifically, and they're back at it this evening. Uh, interested in Vegas and the New Jersey Devils, but man, this this is the game. Uh, th- th- this is the game. You can watch it on, on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. This looks to be an absolute beauty. Again, no Mark Shifley for the Winnipeg Jets. He is still out. And listen, if you watch that Winnipeg game against the Ottawa Senators, what's the old line? Never critique a win? Okay, um, Connor Hellebuck won that thing flat out for the Winnipeg Jets. I know it's hard for goalies to steal full games. I know that based on how the game is played right now, maybe the best you can ask a goaltender to do is steal two periods. But Connor Hellebuck stole that game uh, against the Ottawa Senators that make no mistake about it. And the Boston Bruins are the Boston Bruins, specifically at home as well. This one should be and has all the earmarkings of a great one. Two of the top teams in the NHL going head-to-head. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. We take a break, and Louis DeBrusque gets us on the Edmonton Oilers page, winners of 13 in a row, and they just added the worm, Corey Perry. Here comes our two. Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2 across the Sportsnet Radio Network or Sportsnet 360. Or if you're, I don't know, on the treadmill, maybe walking the dog, listening by way of podcast, we thank you for the download. We thank you for the attention. Uh, We will pay strict attention to Ross Mahoney 
the assistant general manager of the Washington Capitals, who stops by at the bottom of the hour. We will get into some Washington Capitals talk there, but we're also going to talk to Ross about scouts and the Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation, which he's very much part of. Look forward to that conversation. Uh, In the meantime, I have a very, very hard-hitting, hard-nosed, hard-boiled journalistic question to ask Louis DeBrusque uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada as he's aboard now. Louis, are you ready for my hard-hitting question about the Edmonton Oilers? I am, but I think the only accurate description in that list there was hard-boiled and a little overdone. (laughs) (laughs) okay but uh but no good good to hear your voice how you doing yeah great to great i'm good man great to hear yours as well here we go this is uh, i never went to to journalism school but they i'm sure that they teach you to ask questions like this louis debrusque covering the edmonton oilers louis your hard-hitting question is for the edmonton oilers are things great or really great (laughs) Louis, <laughs> so the skill testing question. Yeah, um, all <laughs> yeah. the above. Is there a C in there? Usually, I just hit C if I didn't know the answer. But uh, yeah, know, all, listen, the, it, all it of the above. Right one, yeah, yeah, all of the above. They're uh, yeah. they're feeling pretty good right now, and they're uh, finding ways to win hockey games. Uh, most importantly, though, Jeff, they're finding ways to win hockey games that maybe I think for for most fans and most people that don't necessarily watch this team as much as maybe we do. Um, the right way, to be totally honest. They're playing a great game right now. They're playing a sound defensive game. They're not giving up a lot of great chances. Um, they're getting great goaltending right now from Stuart Skinner and Calvin Pickard when he gets his chances in the net. But this is by committee. You know, you look at the game in Calgary on Saturday night. It was it was done by guys not named Drysaddle, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, Kane. I mean, Hyman finished it off with that great open netter. I mean, that was just a, a real great example of the yeah. determination he's had this year. I mean, he just, you could tell from... 20 feet away, he was going to track down that puck. I didn't know if he was going to be able to wrap it around the way that he did, but I knew he was going to kill more time and get there and make it real tough for the Flames to get back up the ice. It was a great game, though. It really was. And I think that's what you're starting to see now is teams really buckle down to play Edmonton, um, which they understand. And they, they, they know that's going to happen when you've won, at that time, 12, now 13 in a row. They're getting every team's best. It's not that they weren't getting that before with the players that they have and how offensive they are. They've always had a ton of respect in the mm-hmm. league as far as that's concerned, and they always do typically get a real A game from the opposition. But now teams are really getting prepared for Edmonton, and yet they're still finding a way to claw and scratch out wins, yeah. which is, uh, in my opinion, um, the perfect way to prepare yourself for the end of the season, into the playoffs, try and find mm-hmm. your way in there into the highest position you can make it and, uh, and see what happens. You know, one of the um, unfortunate things about the NHL and stats keeping, one of the one of the areas that they don't keep stats on is, and you may think this is funny, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this, Louis. Uh, they don't keep track of who has the most disallowed go- goals, either in a season or a career. You know, there was a there was a couple of years ago that in Toronto it seemed as if you know Mitch Marner. You know, every every couple of times he played, there was a disallowed goal. Either it was, you know, usually on, on review. Um, but I don't know that I've seen a player this season who's had more disallowed goals than Zach Hyman. Is this a mirage or am I seeing this correctly that he scored a ton, like, and he's having a wonderful season, like Bell to Bell. Yeah. You know, Connor's been injured and, and had had slumps, et cetera. But Bell to Bell, he may have been their best player so far, playing some great hockey. Does he or does he not have, like, the most disallowed goal, goals, certainly on the Oilers and maybe in the entire league, Louie? Pastor. Um, I would say that certainly in the last two years, including last year, I think it was six or seven that he had taken back directly goals that he had scored. And then this year there's been a bunch that he's been involved in. They haven't all been goals that he's scored, but it's amazing. You know, you look at his reactions afterwards and it's almost like, here we go again. But I think that's also what makes him what he is. <laughs> and honestly, that's the, yeah. for me, it's uh, if he's not getting goals taken away, then he's just not, you know, walking that line aggressively enough. And I, and I think he understands that this is going to be, you know, the casualties of, of playing the way that he plays and being around the net as much as he is. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, Corey Perry in this conversation. Um, there's another guy and another reason oh, yeah, why they man. went out and, and, and signed him, right? Like if you look at the guys around the league and I think of Matthew Kachuk, I think of Zach Hyman, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, 
you know, is another guy that draws a lot of penalties. He's around that front of the net, banging away. It doesn't happen as much this year in yeah. LA, but when he's on his game, that's kind of the game that he plays, right? He's going to draw penalties or else he's going to get a really good chance in front of the net. Um, those types of players um, are hard to come by. And I think we go back to the Holmstrom era in Detroit. You know, you look at a guy like that, he made his Ooh. entire career right in front of the net. Ryan Smith made his, his career was in front of that. Yeah, he scored goals different ways. But when you think of those players, you think about how they battled in front. Our co-worker, Craig Simpson. You know, Craig Simpson was a guy that would just take a beat yeah. in front of that to score a goal. So, oh. and, he, and he paid the price yep. for it. He paid the price for it, right? I mean, he, he suffered injuries because yep. of it. Because back then, you could literally lay a two-by-four on a guy, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't result in a penalty. But I think the guys today yep. that are determined to go there, you understand you might take a 100-mile slap shot off the body somewhere. You understand the guys are going to play it physical. But if you're determined and you have the wherewithal to keep going there, good things happen. But he's definitely up there for guys that have had goals taken away, and I don't think it's going to stop because he's going to continue to do what he does. I'm glad you mentioned Craig, Craig Simpson in there. I know because whenever we think about players that endured punishment in front of the net, you know, we'll think about Tim Kerr with the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll think about Dino uh-huh. Cicerelli. You mentioned Holmstrom as well. Like all of these guys, including Craig Simpson as well, um, like they earned various chiropractors' international reputations. Like, you know, yeah. Craig Simpson yeah. walks into a chiropractor's office and that chiropractor said, oh boy, uh, this is going to get me a corner office or this is going to be a long-term client. Because you're right, like the, we tend to forget just how much punishment all these players took in front of the net on a consistent basis. Things that, you know, you look at, you know, if it was now, we'd be, you know, turning to and having a look at George Peros of the Department of Player Safety. Back then, it was just like, well, that's what you do when you stand in front of the net, son. Um, well, it, you, you mentioned Corey the, Perry. Phrase, go to the tough areas, game. You know, go to the tough areas. 100%. They weren't tough areas because it was, you know, the, the ice wasn't very good there. It was tough area because when you entered that zone, it was almost... Yeah, we can do whatever we want to you. It was funny, you know, I I was just talking to Paul Coffey the other day, and Rick Talker used to bring up this guy. I think it was Bennett Wolf. Is that the right? I, I always get the oh, name wrong. T- and I, oh, of course. I, I yeah. But, but there were, he used to, like, during the penalty kill, he would go back to the bench. Okay, so his team takes a penalty. He was on the penalty kill. He'd go back yeah. to the bench, and he'd look over at the opposing bench, and he'd hand his stick to the trainer that he had him on the ice, and the trainer would deal him over like a two-by-four. Like this stick that was designed just to not break. <laughs> and, 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 and oh. story, so funny. Like, if you ever talk to Rick Talk and ask him about this, because it's so funny, because okay. just the look in his eye, he would look down the bench and make sure everybody saw him grab that stick and bring it over the boards. And then he would mm-hmm. just absolutely punish people for it. On the flip side, we just talked about Matthew Kachuk. Keith Kachuk, when I played with him in Arizona and Phoenix, Teppo Newman was part of Montreal yeah. Sticks. Right, so Teppo was always trying yes. to get the stick right for big ones, and I have one of them actually. I have a, I have one of these sticks because it, it was it, it, it was common. No Every time that he would come back, he'd say, "Sorry, it's 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 not big enough. It's not sharp enough on the edges." And so you know how most guys like a little smoother edge on their stick around. He wanted this thing almost razor sharp, and he it, it, honestly it just it was one time he made one as a joke i think this is Teppo newman he made one that was doubly the size of a regular shaft of a stick and walt loved it yeah and he played a game with it he scored a goal with it and he also cross-checked a lot of guys with that thing and it was it, it you couldn't break that with your two hands regular with the part you could it was almost impossible to break that stick and I tell you what, guys have got welts today. I had one across my face from a years ago. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's a different uh-huh. game, but I, I still think you have to go to those tough areas, Jeff. I still think you have to have that presence in front of the net, and the guys that are willing to do that are going to get chances. And if you're strong and good with your stick and good with your positioning, you can make a career out of it. Okay, it's been 10 minutes in this conversation, and I haven't brought up Corey Perry, and it's the news of the day, but I've been told before I'm a bad host, and I'm going to continue to be a bad host because I'm fascinated by this stick story with uh, with Big Walt as well. And I am curious because it'd be the the sort of the, the, the vernacular for it is, you know, he doesn't have a stick, he has a crowbar. Like, bar, the sticks that just do not flex. Like, I can imagine Bennett Wolf with the cross-checks. I can imagine uh, Keith Kachuk with the cross-checks as well. Who had... The, who had, like, the crowbar in the NHL? Chara always had one. Like, good luck yeah. bending that thing. I think it was, like, 130 flex or something. Who, who yeah. had the uh, uh, the, the, the guy, highest crowbar flex? Well, the guy that stands out for me was actually Sheldon Survey. 
Sheldon Surrey, when when I covered him ah. here with Edmonton, you know, and he had another guy that had an absolute, um, you know, weapon of a shot. Like it was a, it was a, it was a rocket, you know. But he uh, he was of the old school mentality because he was so big and strong that the the greater the flex, the more I can the more I can make that stick flex with my strength, the harder the puck's going to go. So the old philosophy was, and I used to fairly stiff flex myself because I was a big guy, leaned into the stick, especially the old wood sticks, and that's where it came from. But, you know, some guys couldn't handle that whippy stick. I think the new generation of players have really done a great job at obviously growing up with those sticks and those flexes, and they're trying to get lighter. Brett Hall was above way before his time. I mean, he used to, you know, he was always flowing with his flexes from what I understand. And he was one of the lowest guys flex-wise. He wanted that. He wanted it smooth, easy. And and nowadays, a lot of the players have that. But, yeah, I remember Sheldon Surrey grabbing that stick. And it, it, really, it literally was a two-by-four. But, I mean, <laughs> he had one of the hardest shots in the history of the game. I mean, he could really rock it. Oh, yeah. So could Chara. But I think from Chara's height, he had to have that, uh, that stiffness to that uh, – he could, uh, you know, get the shot away that wouldn't mm. whip too much as six foot nine. Like Klapka the other day, the Calgary Flames, I guess he has, I know Ryan Husko was saying he had like 115, I think was what his flex was, because he's six foot eight. Oh, you know, man. he needs it. And that kid can shoot the puck too. He's a big, big kid, but I was watching him in the skate in the morning and he was ripping the puck. Yeah. I remember um I remember Danny Briere telling me once that when he first when 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 he was in, when he was playing in the NHL, he would start the season with a 110, but by the end of the season just because he lose so much strength over the course of a season yeah. and he needed a stick to do more, more of the work for him, he was using like a 90 or a 95 by the time like yeah. April rolled around. Like that you lose so much strength <laughs> over the year, right? Isn't that funny, too? Like a 95 today is still a really stiff stick in the NHL standards. It's 85, 75, 60s, <laughs> but you know what? I agree with them. It's true. I agree with them. It's, isn't that amazing how it's changed? But I'll tell you, um, it's changed for the better, though, Jeff. I mean, look how skilled these players are and how they can use the equipment oh. they have now. They've, they've grown up with it, and it's just natural for them to use these. But we look at these sticks, and I, I'll grab the sticks every once in a while and flex, and I'll just be like, you know, listen, this is a funny story. Jake, you know, get sticks. And he, at one time, I think he had 25 yeah. in my garage here when he was staying here. I couldn't use them. I mean, here are all these beautiful sticks in my garage that I'm like, hey, you know, I got free supply of sticks. And I, no, can't use them. Number one, I couldn't use the flex. Number two, I couldn't use that curtain. Are you kidding me? Forget about it. The new curves they have. But, <laughs> um, but you know what? The game's great because of it. The game's the best it's ever been skill-wise because of it. And I don't think it's going to slow down. I think the players are continually um, way more... Um, you know, focused on equipment and little tiny advantages they can have by changing little things. And, and every guy to a man now is just yeah. making those tweaks. But, uh, but yeah, you know what? I can see that from Danny, who I played with in Phoenix as well, and had a great release. That wrist yep. shot he had off the half ball as a, as a power play guy. He could pick under the bar from short side with, with best as good as anybody. But uh, I understand that because yep. your wrist take a beating too. The one thing about having those heavy, yeah. heavy uh, stiffness um, sticks is that it, it wears and tears on your joints. There's no question. It really does. And over the years, when I go back and play now, and I don't play that much anymore, but when I do play, I always, for a couple of days afterwards, have sore wrists. You know, my thumb and my wrist. Now, that might be from some other things that I did in my career, but no question, that movement <laughs> of tweaking and torquing on a stick say. definitely has, uh, has, uh, has a feeling on there. So I'm trying to get to the lighter yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we're 15 minutes deep here, and i, I got to let you go soon. But let me ask you about Corey Perry. It is the story of the day yeah. in Edmonton. Well, the big story about Edmonton is the 13-game rip that they're on and how good everybody is playing right now. But, uh, you know, the, the the headline now is Corey Perry officially joins the mix. Uh, we've talked about it for a few days. We've speculated about Corey Perry in Edmonton, though, for at least a year. Um, there has been interest from Edmonton at uh, various times. Like th- That's not exactly a secret. Um, Corey Perry now signs with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, yeah, where like where does he step into specifically? Like where is the spot you see for Corey Perry, Louis? That's a good question. I think he's a player that's shown, and first and foremost, the reason that this team has talked about Corey Perry for for a while is he's a guy that plays the game in the trenches, so to speak. The players that we just talked about, guys yeah. that go to the net, guys that drag into the fight, guys that are a pest, guys that bump into the goalie. The one area that I think that this team can certainly get better at are those goal mouth goals. They can have more of an effort around the net and find mm-hmm. some of those junky goals. Uh, we, I mean, you, you can make two hours of highlight reel goals from this Evan Miller's team over the last five, six years. 
But you know what goals win you the Stanley Cup or win you games late in the season and into the playoffs and yeah. chasing that Stanley Cup or those types of goals. And he actually scored one of those goals against Edmonton back in 2017 in the second round. Um, a very controversial goal. I understand that. But yeah. that's what Corey Perry is. He's one of those guys that's always on the line in the game. Yes, I understand what what transpired or what, what, what happened in Chicago. He was let go, um, terminated his contract. Uh, I think that the most important thing for Corey Perry was he apologized. He went and took care of himself and did what he needed to do to get himself um, mentally back into the right uh, frame of mind to come back and play. There was interest from multiple teams. And I know people are talking about him being a disruption. The only disruption that Corey Perry is going to bring to the Oilers is going to be the first week of talking about Corey Perry, about coming on board. But if you look at his track record over the course of his lengthy career, he's been a great teammate. He's been a guy that, uh, you know, comes to play every single night. Uh, and uh, you know what you're going to get from him. So this, to me, is a low-risk um, um, signing by the Edmonton Oilers. If it doesn't work out, you're really not out that much. If it does work out, it could be one of those pieces you need. But I look at the bottom six of this team. There's no question they need a little more grit. Uh, they need a little more size. And they need a little more scoring. Corey Perry brings all three of those things. Um, they have nine goals among six players that have played predominantly in the bottom six. Sam Gagne has five goals in 20 games. There's another grizzled veteran yep. player that has come in here and buckles down and knows how to play the game the right way and has scored some big goals for this team. Uh, a big one the other night, the game winner. Just uh, It was a fluky one, but that's Sam Gagne, over 1,000 games, been around this yeah. league for a long time, just puts a puck to the net, puts a puck to an area. He was there first and they score the game-winning goal. So that's what I believe Corey Perry brings here, and I do believe that the nucleus of this team, the veterans that have been here for a long time together, um, they're strong enough uh, to bring in a player like Corey Perry. And where does he fit? To, to answer your question finally, I honestly don't know. And that's, mm. that's the unique thing about Corey Perry is that I think he can go up and down your lineup. Yes, he's probably going to start in the bottom six, potentially on the third line. I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing right wing on Leon Dreisaitl's line eventually. This is a guy that goes to the net, mm. and with a passer like Dreisaitl, he can bang in goals. He's going to score. Um, he's always had a nose around the net throughout his career. People are going to talk about his speed, and I'm going to say, okay, go look at Joe Pavelski. Now, Corey Perry hasn't put up the points that Joe Pavelski puts up, but he has, that, he has that same type of game where he's in the thick of things and he understands what his game is. He never goes away from what he does as a player, and that's what makes him consistent throughout his career. So, listen, I hope it works out. I think it's intriguing. I think that uh, this is a player and the way he plays that Edmonton has desperately needed and wanted over the years. And for Kenny Holland, I know that he would mm-hmm. have certainly investigated this and made sure that he did his part to look at this and make sure this was a good fit. And uh, you know what? We'll see. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's interesting to me, but I can see him going up and down the lineup, Jeff. I see him starting probably on the third line, fourth line, just to get his feet wet and going. But yep. if he's having a good sure. night, Chris Knobloch has shown he's not afraid to elevate guys in the game and give them opportunities up the line. Things going great with the Oilers, and now they add one of the best clutch slash playoff performers of this generation. Uh, Louis, thanks for the chat. Uh, going various directions, as we always do. Love the stick chat, love the Corey Perry <laughs> chat, love the Oilers. Zach Hyman, disallowed goals, all of it. Uh, thanks as always, yeah. pal. You be good. Yeah. yeah, I don't get to talk to you enough. It's always fun, bud. Take care. Amen, brother. Take care of yourself. Louis DeBrusque uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet covers the Edmonton Oilers, um, also from Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, a few things there, and one with Corey Perry. One of the questions that I have of, of any player, really, uh, from any draft is, will he be the last player remaining in the NHL from that draft? And I think you can make a pretty strong case that from the 2003 draft, which is going to go down in history as one of the greatest drafts of all time, some may say it is the greatest draft uh, of all time. I wonder if Corey Perry is the last man standing from 2003. Now, Patrice Bergeron has just retired. So Bergeron is out of the mix. Jeff Carter is probably trending that direction next. Uh, Zach Parise, we're still sort of waiting to see about. Uh, Louis mentioned Joe Pavelski. He does not want to slow down at all uh, with the Dallas Stars still playing on that top line. What's the old... What's the old line? Too old, too slow, too good. Uh, Joe Pavelski keeps on cranking it out. 
Um, Brent Burns is still very much playing. Ryan Suter is still very much playing. But I do wonder, you know, Corey Perry, you know, talks about, you know, playing, you know, late into his life here and essentially playing as long as someone wants to pay him uh, to play pro hockey. I do wonder if Corey Perry is the last man standing uh, from that 2003 NHL draft. Uh, Hey, Matt Marchese, I want to pick up a conversation with you about something I just chatted with Louie about, and that is sticks. Mm -hmm. You want to have a quick convo about sticks, and I'm going to preface it with this. Um, you know the Ray Campanello story, right? With sticks? Yes, I do. So, for all of our listeners slash viewers that don't know, Scampy, legendary Scampy, you always knew it was a big game when you saw Ray Scampanello and John D'Amico working the lines. Like, whoa, okay, this is a big game. They brought out uh, the veterans here for this one. So Ray Scampanello, who's, who's written a, a wonderful book, and you should really check it out. He's such a delightful guy. Um, what he used to do uh, is he would collect hockey sticks uh, from various NHLers, superstars generally, and get them to autograph them. And he would save them up at the end of every year and take them to his parents' house. I believe was in, correct me if I'm wrong here, Maddie. I think he had, I think his parents lived in Guelph. In Guelph, Ontario, so. a big Italian community there. And so he would always leave the sticks at uh, mom and dad's place at the end of the season. And he had like all like Phil Esposito autograph, Guy Lafleur, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, like all like heavyweight, heavyweight players. Mike Bossy, guys from that Islanders dynasty, the Habs dynasty, all of it. Like really great sticks with incredible autographs on them. So these were all kept at his parents' place in Guelph. And at the end of his career... Uh, he told me once that he, I'm sure he's written about this as well. Uh, he goes back to Guelph, uh, to his parents' place to collect up his sticks. And he asks his mom, like, Hey mom, where's, where's all the, the sticks that I stored here? And she says, Oh, they're in the back. So he goes to the back, figuring that mom means the garage. Can't find them. They're not there. Goes back in. Mom, where are the sticks? And she says, they're out back. Go on. So he goes out back and sure enough, Maddie, sure enough, all those thousands of dollars worth of autographed hockey sticks have been cut and used for growing tomatoes. Mm-hmm. That's why the tomatoes the taste so good. Ex- the most expensive pasta sauce ever made <laughs> was in the, was in the Scampanello family backyard. Oh, look, that's a is that a Guy Lafleur autograph? Oh yeah, those tomatoes look great. That's where the Roma tomatoes. Guy Lafleur has the Roma tomatoes. Thanks. Uh, the uh, uh. Phil Esposito has the hot house. <laughs> Gordy, uh, well, Marcel Dion has the beef steak. We could go down the oh. list here. Hmm. I just love it. Um, anyway, um, you know, you know, it's interesting that um, with sticks now, because previous, one of the things you would always see, you know, the shots of the players in the hallways, and they would always be working on their sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd have the blowtorch out, like the, the, the whole deal. And now sticks are all custom-made, custom-designed and all that, and they come ready to use for the, the players that order them. Uh, about the only thing you'll you'll see these days is guys doing shaft shaving because they arrive still sort of kind of sticky. Yeah, the rubber and I shaft hate that. shaving. Yeah. Other, uh, yeah, I know. But other, other than that, like guys don't really like the art of crafting your own stick. I mean, look at what Jason Spezza used to do with his oh, blades, yeah. <laughs> right? And I know it's different with the one pieces and all that. But like I, Jason Spezza's like stick once upon a time looked like a spear. I have no idea how he used that thing, but nonetheless, like. That art now is gone. It comes from the factory according to your specifications, and that's it. Outside of shaving down the shaft of your stick, you're really not fussing with it. Guys will fuss more with their blades than they will their sticks, and guys will have a very specific way to sharpen their skates. Like Guys will be... It's funny, I was having a text conversation with one uh, with one player on the weekend about this, and he said, like, yeah, most guys are just, like, they'll have, like, 20 or 30 pairs of blades that they're sending back home to the person. Like, they have their own very specific way to sharpen skates and one person to do their skates. It's like, you know, a bag full of, like, 20 or 30 pairs of blades just going back and forth because what used to be how guys took care of sticks, now they take care of their skates and their skate blades specifically, Maddie. Well, now they're able to do that because... They- they can replace them, right? You could, you couldn't do that before. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even five years ago, you couldn't do that. It's just interesting to me too, because it's, it's just the evolution of, you know, the development of the equipment and what you can and can't do. 
it used to be like the you know 30 years ago 40 years ago it used to be like the shoulder pads it was the, the guys wore the shoulder pads they were the same from like when they were in bantam and they barely fit and like they you know that was it it's like oh i just carry that one through now guys are going through equipment i mean i'm uh, assuming they still use you know like their elbow pads and whatever that's stuff that's probably not super interchangeable but even gloves guys are changing yeah. companies guys are you know i don't like how this one feels and like you said everything nowadays is so custom that you don't really have to finagle with your equipment which is also good because it's one less thing as a player that you have to worry about i know when i get this it's going to be like this and i don't have to make any changes the skate thing is just interesting to me because i wonder how different guys in their skating style affects you know like the heavier guys maybe they have um a different cut on their blade and and that's you know, something that they have for all their skates. I, I wonder if for different arenas, you have different blades because of the quality of ice in different places. And that's just, again, part of the evolution of the thinking behind the game too. I, I think it's pretty fascinating. Have you, have you seen those, um, those lifts that players have now between the tuck and the boot? Like no. Some will have as many as like three little lifts. It's fascinating. I'll I'll send you a picture of it. It's it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's the, you know, sort of you know give you know players their own sort of you know personalized, uh, personalized feel to their to 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 their skates. Like in you know they have their own profile on their on their blades, obviously. But for the boot themselves, there's tiny little lifts that players are using. Most use one. Some will use as many as three to either push the boot forward, like depending on the position, etc. It's it's interesting. Like we should probably do honestly. We should do more about equipment on the show. I don't know if people find it as interesting as you and I do. <laughs> we should we should test it out. But I could talk about this stuff all day, and I don't know why I'm fascinated now with these lifts between the tuck and the boot that a lot of guys are using. I, I want like what's you, the you what's, haven't seen this? No, what's the advantage to that? Like I, I'm I'm actually genuinely curious about like why do this? I don't know, Jeff. I wore the same pair. I it, still no, have the same what, pair you know of what it does. It, 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 I know it's different, but well, still. Don't take don't take this the wrong no, way, no, but I know, like compared I know. to the guys that are going to be no. using this, like you kind of suck. But that's okay because I do too. But no, what it does not it changes, kinda, it changes the picture. Very much suck, but that's. <laughs> I'm, but I'm. I'm. At, it's. It's interesting. Like again, like there's so. So many different little things. Well, I think a lot of it is where you want to feel the weight under your foot when you go into your glide phase. <laughs> that's right? my phase. So all everyone's going to be a little bit different. No, that's a straight. That's just a straight leg standing. Just, you're like you're like the 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 thir- the 38 year old aging veteran who just wants to get on the power play and fire like one timers from the half wall. Like the, that's your it's spot. The, it's, and, listen, we've seen plenty of players do that in the NHL. That that's your spot when you're like 19. That's the it's the OV lift. That's what we should call it. The OV lift. <laughs> the OV lift. <laughs> Let's do more with equipment on the show. Yeah, how, about, sure. how about that one? Let's sure. just uh, let's do more more equipment talk uh, here on the program. Um, uh, really quick, before we get to um, Ross Mahoney, who's going to be stopping by here at AGM mm. of the Washington Capitals. Quick thought of the story of the weekend, Patrick Waugh in with the Islanders. So weird. Like the th- Seeing Patrick Waugh in a New York Islanders tracksuit at practice was like, nope, this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but And we remember, Pat, we all thought Patrick Waugh was right in there for the Ranger job. And after all that, and and there, there were a few teams, yeah. St. Louis, I think he was in St. Louis. Um, well, Nick Kiprios has talked about you know the the bid that he was part of for the Ottawa Senators. Yes, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to say he was the favorite, but I mean, they were going to have a conversation with Patrick Waugh about coaching the Ottawa Senators. So yeah, I mean, there, there have been a couple of teams that have sort of kicked tires and knocked on the door. Lou was the first one to put the key in the door. Yeah, and that, and that was a surprise to me because. Um, Patrick was a big personality and I was very, I'm very intrigued to see how this relationship works. I mean, obviously they've had conversations, but I didn't think the Islander job was going to be the one that got Patrick Waugh back into the NHL. I really did not think it felt to me because it had been so long. It was, he either goes back to Colorado or it's Montreal or bus. Like those are the only two places that I could ever have imagined him being back. Just seeing him with the Islanders colors on, is so weird to me. Uh, gets the win in, yeah. in his first game. And, I mean, we'll see how this thing goes. I'm still not sold on the Islanders, but I could be wrong. That Metro is the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen in my life. 
Listen, Montreal has been out there for a long time. You remember when the position was last available and Patrick Watt went on the full-on charm offensive. Yeah. The full-on make make amends with the past. Oh, let's leave 1995 over there. I'm going to be chummy with all the principals from 1995 and everything's great. Full-on charm offensive from Patrick Waugh. Uh, we'll hit a break there. Uh, when we come back, Ross Mahoney is the assistant general manager of the Washington Capitals, but a good part of this conversation is going to revolve around the Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation, which he is a very, very large part of, and we'll get some cap stuff in there as well. Don't worry. Ross Mahoney is next. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, if you've listened to me long enough, you know how much of a... um, an affinity I have for scouts, uh, scouts at all levels. Uh, they are the lifeblood uh, of hockey. Um, they are routinely perhaps the most overlooked people uh, in the uh, in the world of hockey as well, yet they are for a lot of organizations, and rightly so, the spine of a successful organization. Uh, Ross Mahoney knows that. He's the assistant general manager uh, of the Washington Capitals, also a big part of the Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation. We're going to get into all of this with Ross now. Ross, how are you? Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Uh, first of all, 45 members of the uh, Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation uh, being inducted into the Wall of Honor, Okotoks, Alberta, July 29th. Want to get into that in a couple of moments. But uh, first of all, I love the idea of this uh, foundation in the first place. Um, why do this from your point of view? You know, we uh, there's a group of us were talking about it, and um, we didn't want to lose... Uh, you know, people to forget about some of these scouts uh, that were the icons of scouting out in Western Canada, like the Lauren Davises, mm-hmm. uh, the Barry Frasers, Bart Bradley, Patty Janelle. We thought there's got to be a way to honor them and to and to uh, keep their memories. And uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to pair up with uh, Okotoks, and we're going to have a display in the Okotoks Arena, uh, like I said, which will honor these scouts, uh, both past and present. You know, specifically in the West, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I, I have a, a lot of all of our friends. Like, you, you, you hang around hockey long enough, you, you bump into scouts everywhere, and they're, they're wonderful people. And I always think about scouts in the West and long road trips, uh, go see a, a guy, you know, two periods here, and then drive 100 kilometers and go see a period over there, and then drive 300 kilometers uh, to go watch half a game there. And in the winter, we all know what storms are like in the West and icy roads, and you're on your own, and it's hotels, and it's bad coffee, and Zamboni fumes, and get back in the car. I have a real soft spot in my heart for all scouts, but really, scouts in the West, Ross, do you have the same feeling towards them? Yeah, you know, I, I think the original plan when we talked about it, should we try to, uh, you know, make it sort of uh, for all of hockey, whether it was Europe or or the U.S. or Ontario, Quebec. But, you know, all of us are, are, are working in the business and we only have so much time. And we thought maybe we would try this out in Western Canada, like I said, honor these scouts past and present and uh, and come up with a template that uh, the other areas uh, could use if they, you know, so choose to honor scouts in their areas. We just felt it was... Uh, too big of a task for for us to uh, you know initially to be able to do everybody and all the scouts. You know, uh, a lot of the questions, and I'm sure you get this a lot as well, being uh, in hockey for as long as you have. Uh, a lot of questions I always get for people like, how do you like how do you get into becoming a scout? And I think a lot of the default is well, generally. You have to have played, but not necessarily anymore. And then we wonder about things like mentorship uh, and individual development. But when you get asked, you know, a, a very basic and general, I'm interested in scouting, how do I get into it question, how do you answer? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for myself personally, it was, uh, I got into it accidentally. You know, I finished my education degree and hmm. uh, started a young family. And then uh, somebody cornered me one day and said, uh, you took a, a lot away from the game of hockey. Maybe it's time that you give something back to the game of hockey and you're going to help me coach. So I started coaching uh, mm. Bantam hockey in Regina. There was no 
uh, Western Hockey League draft. We just had a protective list, and you would just put players on that list. And and uh, Barry Trapp with the Moose Jaw Warriors asked me to to uh, you know be able to help him with the scouting because I was coaching the Bantam, and uh, that led to mm-hmm. uh, Vancouver Canucks asking uh, you know if I wanted to do it part time, which led to the uh, Buffalo Sabres asking if I would do it full time to uh, you know working with the Washington Capitals. Um, so. You know, it was sort of a different path, I guess, that I took. For a young person, you know, I would say get get yourself involved with a junior team. Um, you know, get uh, get out there and, and start working for them, and and uh, you know, make sure you're a sponge and and make sure you're all eyes and ears, and you can learn a lot from these different scouts, whether they're in junior or whether they're in uh, in the NHL. Um, on a personal, how long your scouting department has been been together? I believe ten, maybe even longer, fifteen years. Ross, am I right about that? With Washington, uh, it's my twenty seventh year. With yeah, Washington. Yeah, I was uh, did sixteen years as a director of scouting, and then the the last eleven have been assistant GM. But uh, you know, my concentration has always been on the amateur side, uh, specifically the draft, running the draft. And, and and your departments like this scouting department like this this collection I know there's, there's one or two that come come and go every now and then but basically it has this been the same group for the last 10 15 years am I am I right about that Yeah we've had uh, quite a few of the same people we added some younger people the last uh, four or five years uh, we had a couple of people retire so but the group has been together for a long time for sure there's been a lot of continuity there and a lot of experience You know there's um I'm always curious about how you evaluate scouts as well. You know, for the longest time, some scouts will say, it's my job to make sure I, you know, I find someone, I can get them into the NHL. And there are other scouts that say, no, you know what, I've got to find a superstar or I've got to be able to swing for the fences here. Maybe I'll miss, but I'm going to swing for the fences. How do you evaluate scouts, Ross? You know, it's, uh, you have to have a a real strong work ethic to start with. You got to love being in the arenas. Um, and then you have a list, yep. you know, you have a list that you bring to the meetings and, uh, you know, you go back and look at uh, scouts lists, you know, after, you know, six or seven years and, and see uh, how they did and where they had players positioned. I mean, it's a, it's a very humbling job. Uh, we know that it's so hard to make the NHL. Um, you know, you, you could probably get two of your seven picks to play or you're doing really well, which means that uh, you weren't successful on five of those seven picks. But uh, it's going back and going over the uh, <laughs> going over the list and you know and seeing how they did and where they had where they had it. I mean, you'll never have a perfect list, you know. But that's uh, sure. That's, it's probably a big part of evaluating the scouts. You know the uh, the game right now is so is so heavily scouted, um, and you know players players generally don't slip through the cracks. Uh, I know there are a lot of scouting friends of mine that when that uh, Bell making the cut show came out, they, they got their backs up like, well, this is an insult to all scouts. So we don't miss on players. Like we scout hockey properly. And I think there was a lot of, uh, a lot of high fives going around when no one from, from making the cut actually made it to the NHL or made the cuts uh, reaffirming how, how well scouted the, the leagues are. Um, but when you, when you, um, when you look at the idea of winning a draft, like Generally, your first rounder is going to play in the NHL. That's really become become the rule. Is there one round specifically that you say, if our third rounder makes it to the NHL or our fourth rounder makes it to the NHL, we've quote unquote won that draft? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, your 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 first couple of rounds. I mean, I think you're hoping to do well with that. I mean, you want to make the right pick. Uh, as you said, like you're, mm-hmm. you know, pretty good chance your first round is going to pick, but you want to make sure that the player that you took, you know, is eventually ends up being the best player uh, at that at that spot where you picked him. Um, when you go from round three to seven, um, it's hard. It's really hard. Like I said, it's uh, there's a small percentage of players that are going to play, uh, you know, probably 250 games or more in the NHL. So, I think if you can get a player in round three to seven. Um, that makes your team and 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 plays like I said for 250 games or more. I think you've done really really well, and I you really start mm-hmm. to rely on your, your area scouts when it comes to those picks, and uh, I think that goes back to your previous question about evaluating the uh, the scouts and and how they do, and I, I think they really uh, they really contribute. I mean they contribute in every round, but even more so in those mid to later rounds. 
You know, the um, the scouting community, I'm with Ross Mahoney, Assistant General Manager of the Washington Capitals, also part of the Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation. Uh, we're 45 members. Uh, we'll be inducted into a wall of honor at Okotoks, Alberta, July 29th. Uh, the scouting community um, lost a great one in Glenn Cochran recently. Uh, I remember growing up and watching Glenn Cochran, who uh, earned every inch of ice uh, he ever played on uh, and was as rough and tough as they came. Do you have a thought or two on Glenn Cochran? Yeah, I mean, uh, very sad. Um, um, I mean, Glenn was, uh, he really understood what the fraternity was all about. Um, you know, just a great person, great guy, uh, lots of fun. Um, obviously, a, a hard worker. And I, I look at the, some of the picks that uh, Anaheim made out of Western Canada, and I know Glenn had a huge part of that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he had some very good picks. So, yeah, as I said, very, very sad. But, I mean, I think Glenn would be, Remember being such a good person and uh, and a really good teammate. Absolutely, um, Ross. When you, um, I think, when a lot of us think about scouts, um, everyone's been to arenas and you know seen the the collection of scouts, you know, up in the corner. Uh, or at various levels, I suppose. And this may seem like a goofy question, but I am legitimately curious about it. Um, Colby Armstrong calls it the scout fit, and that is all black. Why do scouts insist on wearing all black, Ross Mahoney? Uh, Lack of imagination. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) But but it is is true. Now that you say that... uh, yeah, you can. We kind of stick out in a way that we do usually do wear a lot of black, and I really, honestly, don't have a good answer for you. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, it, it, it's it's actually a great answer because, you know, every time I talk to a scout about it and I reference, hey, Colby calls you guys, you know, you're wearing your scout fit, you're all in black. And what I keep hearing back is, well, we just, you know, we don't want to be conspicuous. We don't want to wear anything loud. So we just wear black. So we just try to blend into the background. But I always like, well, the opposite is happening because there's this collection of people that are all wearing black and everybody knows it's the, it's the scouts. You're actually doing the opposite. You might want to start to move in some color uh, in, into the into the wardrobe. So actually, Ross, that's actually a great answer that you, gave, that you just gave me um, there. When you, I mentioned the idea of mentorship a couple of seconds ago. Um, who are some of the people that helped you along the way, Ross? Oh, I was so fortunate. You know, when I first uh, got started uh, with the Vancouver Ducks, I mean, we had Pat Quinn was the uh, president, general manager and and head coach and uh Brian Burke was there for a while as the uh, as the uh, assistant GM, and then George McPhee. Um, so you know, learned a lot from them. Um, Mike Penny was was running the scouting department then, and then Ron Delorme mm-hmm. and Jack McCartney were kind of who I answered to. And uh, I was part time, but boy, they treated me like I was uh, the most important person in the organization. And and I learned a lot about scouting from them. And then I. I moved on to Buffalo, working with the Sabres, and then John Muckler was the general manager. Um, and I was fortunate mm-hmm. enough to work with uh, Larry Carrier and uh, and Don Luce wow. and uh, Jack Bowman. And once again, I mean, these guys were just not only quality scouts, but quality people and taught me how to scout, but also taught me how to conduct myself in a, in a professional manner and represent my team in the, in the right way. And, and then uh, was very fortunate to... Uh, to be able to get to work again with George McPhee. Uh, George became the general manager in Washington and uh, and hired me, um, as I said, to be the director of, of scouting. So I was just so fortunate to be able to uh, work with such quality people in these different organizations that I've been with. Is there one or are there a couple of picks of yours that you look at and take uh, maybe more pride than than other picks? Probably later in the draft, uncovering the gems. Are there a couple of picks that you're particularly proud of? Oh boy, um, th- that's that's a great question. I mean, uh, it, it, sometimes even in the first round, you know, we took Mike Green later in the first round. Uh, Mike ended up, yep. I think, one year scored 31 goals. You know, as a defenseman, um, so you take pride in that that you probably made a, a good pick. You know, in the first round. Uh, the year we won the Stanley Cup, I think we had about uh, 11 or 12 players played uh, regular. Um, you know, we had a Christian Juice, who was a seventh-round pick, played 23 of the 24 yeah. games every year. Um, both our goalies, Braden Holtby and Philip Grubauer, were uh, fourth-round picks. Um, so, 
those are probably examples of different parts of the draft, whether it was early, middle, or late, where you know you're 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 happy with uh, with the picks you made, and that those players were able to play such a you know some of them a big uh, part of our our Stanley Cup win. Uh, with Ross Mahoney, assistant general manager of the Washington Capitals and part of the Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation, you know there's a uh, there's an old saying in uh, in acting or in theater, and it goes like this: uh, You cast for the third act. You don't cast for the first act or the second act. You cast for the third act. When you're scouting, what age are you scouting at? Like, what are you projecting? Like, what's the third act for the hockey player that you're scouting? Yeah, you know, most kids probably come on our radar when they're 16, a year before their draft here. Um, and then, you know, the draft, as as you know, was 17 or the late birth dates would be 18-year-olds. Um, and we're trying to project where they're going to be when they're probably 23 or 24 years of age. Um, and then that's what makes it really challenging, you know. I, I think that you're dealing with kids that are in high school, you know, that, uh, that are in grade 12 or, or first-year university age, so... But it's like I said, it's humbling, but it's uh, it's a really good challenge, and it's it's lots of fun. Let me uh, let me conclude on this one. Um, my producer is a gentleman by the name of David Sis, uh, and he is uh, also a scout for the Owen Sound attack of the OHL Dale DeGray's uh, team in the Ontario League. Uh, if you were talking to him right now, and he's listening behind the glass, what advice would you give to young David Sis? Oh, I think, uh, you know, you have to be open-minded. I think, um, you know, obviously you have that work ethic. Like I said before, you have to love being in the rinks. Um, you know, you're on a scouting team, um, and and mm-hmm. I think you're going to go to a, a meeting with your list, and you're going to think your list is the right list. Uh, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I think nobody has the right list yeah. as a group. I think as a group, you know, you're a good teammate, and you uh, you respect the people that you work with. You respect their opinion. Um, you know, you're all being paid for your opinion. Um, and together as a group, you're going to come up with, uh, you know, with a good list. Mm-hmm. If you're, like I said, respectful of each other and uh, you work things through during the year. And, and like I said, you come up with a good list. And, and like I said before, be a sponge. You know, be willing to learn. I mean, yeah. even uh, even as you go along, I mean, I, I think a lot of scouts are lifelong learners. They're just constantly trying to get better. They're constantly trying to find some advantage they can have over the, uh, you know, the other teams that they're, uh, you know, scouting against. That's awesome. What a great answer. Um, Ross, thanks uh, so much for dropping by with me today. Uh, Assistant General Manager of the Washington Capitals, Ross Mahoney, has been my guest. Thanks, Ross. You be well. Continued success with the Capitals. Thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, also part of the Western Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation. Uh, 45 members being inducted to their Wall of Honor uh, in Okotoks, Alberta on July the 29th. Excellent association right there. Six games on the board tonight around the NHL. Um, and I'll tell you, man, the first one has two games at 7 o'clock. The Knights are facing off against the Devils. But Jets and Bruins at 7 ET. Rogers Monday Night Hockey. That is... That is juicy, Junior. That is real juicy. Other games up for grabs a little bit later on. The Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Chicago Blackhawks. And Logan Couture is back. San Jose Sharks facing off against the Los Angeles Kings. Check that one out, too. Uh, thanks to all my guests. You just heard from Ross Mahoney of the Washington Capitals, Louis DeBrusque. We were going to talk about Corey Perry, and we ended up talking about hockey sticks for a real long time, but we did get to Corey Perry. Oh, by the way, Corey Perry, officially an oiler name today. Uh, Andrew Gross caught us up from Newsday about the uh, the latest with Patrick Watt. 1-0. For the New York Islanders, congratulations and a very sleepy, but we understand why Elliot Friedman kicked it off. Matt Marchese, David Sislas, Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick, thank you as always for making the show better.